Now welcome to the Conscious Leaders podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Varenga, founder of Conscious Leaders. Now today I'm bringing you my first interview back in London town. It's very exciting. It's with Phil Wilde, who's come down from the Lake District. He's the CEO of James Cropper. They're an advanced materials and paper products group. You may not have heard of them, but they are quite the outfit with around 600 employees and provide materials for big brands such as Burberry. I started by asking him just how he got to where he is now. So I went to school, went to, uh, went to sixth form, um, and then I did an apprenticeship in engineering. I moved from sunny seaside Scarborough down to Kent, which at uh, the age of uh, 18 was quite, was quite a big move. Um, so I did a, an apprenticeship for, for a year, uh, and then I worked for a company called Lucas, um, and that was before I went to, to university. And so this might date it now, because I, I worked for, uh, for Lucas who make diesel systems. Um, and interestingly, some of the areas that we're working on today are about green energy, and I couldn't have been any further from that when I, when I started my, uh, my sort of early career. Um, so then I, I went on to, uh, to university. I went to, uh, to Loughborough University and did three years, and I worked for Lucas um, in the summer periods. Um, so rather than a typical student who would go backpacking every, every summer or, or go, I would, I would go off and to work in different locations. So, you know, throughout the UK. Um, I also worked in France for, uh, for a summer for them as well. Didn't speak a word of French. Um, got to learn a little bit of French when I was, uh, when I was out there. Um, anyway, I, I finished university, I then looked to move my career on, uh, and I worked for, for 3M, a uh, large uh, you know, multinational corporate, and um, I think at that age you, you join an organisation and you think, oh, do you know, I'm going to be here for maybe two years, get some great experience and move on. Um, well, 20 years later... Yeah. Having had a fantastic time at, uh, at 3M and you know, a number of different careers, then I, I did move on. I think probably what, one of the things I wanted to draw out within that 20 years uh, was early in my career, I realised I probably wasn't a good engineer, which was what I did my degree in. And I had a far more of a passion around people. Um, and so I moved from more technically project-orientated work to, you know, supervisory managerial type uh, tar roles and that was probably early in my career and that was quite a milestone for uh, for me in terms of where my career was going um, but then after about 10 years I also moved out of manufacturing and engineering into business which again was quite a career change as uh, as well and then you know, subsequently I ran a, a number of different businesses actually across the world for uh, for the company um, Anyway, I, I, I did eventually clock that I needed to move on, um, despite having, having been there for quite, uh, quite a, a long period of time. And I made another quite significant move. So 3M, at the time, I think had something like 50,000 employees, or a $36 billion organisation in most countries around the world. Uh, and I joined James Cropper, who were uh, based in the Lake District. Um, 60 million pound turnover at, at that stage, about 500 employees, you know, family owned and, and had at that stage two different locations. So completely different environment to, uh, to what I was used to. And, and subsequently I've, I've now been there for, this is my ninth year as CEO as, uh, of James Cropper and we've gone through you know, quite substantial changes through, uh, through those nine years. Mm. Yeah, and, and tell us about James Cropper, because you, you kind of sit behind quite a few brands that maybe our listeners would have heard of, but maybe not so much about you, but yet you're quite a big company. So, so tell us about the business, just a little. Well, James Cropper is, it's an old company, but very young thinking. Um, so we're, we're around 200 years old. And if you, sometimes when you, when you talk about James Cropper, you say, well, actually, it's a 200-year-old company. Uh, it predominantly makes paper, and it's based in the Lake District. And it kind of conjures up this cottage industry, you know, beautiful location place. Now, it is a beautiful location and place. It's definitely not a cottage industry. Um, we are we're material scientists, uh, and we focus on developing new materials for you know, for key markets. So, for example, when I talk about paper, 
you know, actually we're manufacturing paper that go into the world's biggest brands. So paper that's, that's manufactured for uh, Apple, uh, Burberry, Louis Vuitton, uh, those sorts of organisations, so very high-end bespoke. Um, we have a technical fibre business that manufactures for uh, air, aerospace and green technology. So every Boeing and every Airbus that's made in the world uses our materials. It goes into a lot of green technologies like um, blades for, uh, for wind turbines. Um, most of the world's hydrogen fuel cells use our, our material. Uh, we've recently acquired a business that uh, is used for the manufacturing of, uh, of hydrogen. And more recently, we've developed a, a business that is a provides an alternative to single-use plastics. Um, so rather than sort of vacuum-formed plastics and so on, you know, we're manufacturing out of sustainable materials that's you know, biodegradable, compostable, and, uh, and, and so on. So it's um, so you know the we are behind the brands, providing the science, providing the technology uh, at our at our heart. We're a uh, we're a materials business. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And and this podcast is very much about leadership and people leadership, um, and particularly about kind of conscious leadership and like your journey as a leader. Uh, what would you say your like philosophy or approach to leadership is? Like what what kind of what drives you? This do do you have a, a kind of way of of thinking or being as a as a leader that you've been developing? Um. It's a great question, and, and it's interesting that with leadership, if I was to type leadership into Google, or, or you know, I'll go on Amazon and look at books, or go on, on TED Talks, I, yeah, I'd find a gazillion things on leadership. Um, I think I, I think about it quite in a basic way. Uh, I think as leadership is about getting the most out of other people's capabilities. Hmm. Um, in in its absolute heart um, my my approach uh, I think integrity is is very important um, being authentic but under understanding who you're working with as well um, I adapt my leadership approach depending on who, who I'm working with um, the audience that uh, that I'm with and, and and what it is I'm trying to to uh, help to develop those people I'm, uh, I'm working alongside. Um, if I can give you, give you a little bit of a story. If, uh, so when, when I joined um, James Cropper, very, very successful organisation, and you know, and, and, and you have to be to be in existence mm-hmm. for so no pressure when you joined like, period of time. Yeah. Um, but. This is one of the things I recognise with the company when I joined, but also something I recognise with other smaller organisations. One, one of the secrets of the success was that the leaders of the organisation were extremely bright um, and were able to make some very clever and brave decisions um, as, the, as, they grew, uh, as they grew the business. However, as the business grew, what became more apparent is that that type of leadership style, the capability of the, the ability to the company to grow, was actually within that leader themselves and not within the organisation. And for an organisation to grow and to be on a... On, the negative side you'd say well that's a single point of failure but it's not only a single point of failure but it's also a a limitation of the bandwidth of the capability of that person of you know how how the business can grow and so on and it's something i've recognized in a particular lot of smes as they as they've developed and observing smes that have grown and then collapsed and so that was why I took an approach uh, that it happened to fall into my natural leadership style as, uh, as well, of recruiting the best people we possibly could throughout the entire organisation. Um, and that doesn't mean that the good people weren't there before because they absolutely, absolutely were. But 
to, to promote a substantial amount of engagement and probably the most important is delegating and allowing others further down the organisation to be responsible. And I think the hardest learning piece for all of that, for, for all of us who are you know, directors in the business and, and, and leading the organisation through, through change, is learning how to deal with failure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and accepting failure is going to happen and it happens as part of the learning process. And I'd say we're part way through that, and I've seen other other organisations similarly that they're part way through it. But but by going back to your going back to your question, my personal style is is about really promoting that, you know, promoting the engagement, promoting the delegating of, of authority, uh, holding people to account and being responsible, and allowing mistakes to be made mm. as part of the learning process. And so, how does that play out then? Um... Is that, is that the way you kind of train and support your, your leaders in your business to, to take that kind of approach, that kind of forgiveness, learning, continual improvement? Is that a kind of cultural philosophy that you've, or you seek to kind of... Um, I'm not, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't use it as forgiveness, to be honest, because that's almost something that you've done wrong. Right. Um, mm. And it isn't, and it isn't wrong. We have we have really high aspirations mm. of you know, our capabilities, where where we're going, and um, actually, my concern is if if everything went absolutely clockwork, we're probably not pushing ourselves. We're not taking the risk. Mm. Um, we're not being aspirational enough, and. So I, I'll give you a, an, another example. Um, about five years ago, we've uh, developed a division within within the group called Technology and Innovation. The sole purpose for that group was to de- develop a, a third leg of the of the business, and. Um, and it's an interesting example of, sort of delegating authority. Uh, because that the scope that I provided, um, you could have written on two blank sheets of paper, because there was right. nothing on it. You know what we look, what we're looking for is to develop a, a third leg of the business, and within there we we populated that group with uh, some very bright engineers and scientists. We headed the group up with a, a new position of a of a CTO role as uh, as well, and and we kind of left them to it. Now. That, we're not a large organisation, um, and that particular uh, department we set up was costing us about half a million pounds a year in, in labour, and you know, working with universities and so on. So quite quite a big risk take uh, approach to uh, to go through, and they came out with loads of different ideas um, of you know, different things that we could do, and um, universities that that they were working with in order to think about you know, how to do things differently in different areas and looking at global mega trends and, mm. uh, and so on. Um, now, cut a long story short, the output of that was the business that um, produced packaging materials that uh, offset uh, single-use plastics. So it was our colour form business. Um, but there was a lot of learning on route and a few false starts on route before we got to that point. Mm. And what do you think the sort of benefit of that kind of attitude to failure is? How, how did that help that division grow? But that, that's innovation. You, you can't, like I say, if, if that had worked, if we'd come out with that part of the business within three weeks of, uh, you know, without doing all the research and without making a few false starts and, and so on, I, I, I would think we, we really haven't tested this out. Mm. Uh, we, mm. you know, we, we've gone for the safety option, the most known solution and so on. But is that truly, you know, is that as aspirational as we, uh, as we can get, as we can move forward? Mm. Um, and, you know, and I think there's, there's a lot of learning that's gone through that. And I, I, you know, I won't talk, we had one or two really crazy ideas as, uh, as well, which, mm-hmm. which was good as well. But ongoing discussion, ongoing dialogue, really talking them through as a, as a team and you know really helped to sort of spark different ideas and different thoughts and it allowed us to sort of 
run with a, with a few different ideas and, and, and really test them out. Mm. Um, and I think it showed, it, it showed our ability to take risk, uh, our, our attitude to want to, to grow, um, but probably most importantly was you know, the holding people more junior in the organisation accountable and responsible in order to come up with different thoughts and ideas in order to bring them, bring them forward. Mm. So it sounds like quite a shift in the business to allow that autonomy, especially at junior, more junior levels. Is that something that you've kind of driven there and has that been well received or is that challenging sometimes? Because, you know, as managers, senior managers in a company, it's sometimes quite nice, isn't it, to hold all the responsibility and the decision making. Like, how easy is it to allow people to let go of some of that and allow some of the junior people to, to take mm. more? Um, I think we're on a journey. Um, like all organisations are you know, heading in, in, in a particular direction. So I don't think it's a case of that, that's what we were and this is where we are now. I think right. it's more a case of this is where we're going. Um, I'll give you another uh, example, more, more recent example. The, we wanted to look at, revisit our values and, and purpose of the, uh, the organisation. Uh, and I was very fortunate that before uh, the pandemic and COVID uh, struck, um, I was spending quite a lot of time in the US um, with Wharton University and, and also some work with Harvard University as well. And we, we kind of all walked in there with a problem to, to take. And my problem was how to re-engage on values as, a, as an organisation. And um, it was actually a discussion, it was a discussion at the bar. Um, Where all the best discussions yeah. happen. <laughs> and um, because I, we, were sort of, we were talking around some of the subjects and so on. And, and uh, the question I, I asked um, five different CEOs while I was there um, was what was your approach that you took on, on values as an organisation and what worked, what didn't work, um, and what we, how would you do it again and then differently. And one of the areas that came out on that was <clears throat> the area that didn't work was having a team of board directors around a board table coming around with a set of values and then telling the organisation, you know, this is, this is what our values are. Um, and I don't think that'd be any surprise to you or anyone listening, but that, that, would, be the, uh, that would be the case. But to take a, a real engaged approach. And so the, the, the route that we went was, for us was quite, was quite courageous. <clears throat> Bear in mind, now we are halfway through the pandemic, so you know, life, life is all on Zoom and Teams. Mm. Um, and we took a good cross-section of our, our organisation. Uh, different geographies, uh, different businesses, uh, and a good portion of, uh, of involvement through, uh, throughout. And we set up a whole series of workshops on Teams. Um, in order to really talk through what our, what our values should be moving forward. And there's a couple of pieces that really came out from that. One is the values came from our employees, not the directors. The directors had no say of what the values were. And the other important piece was where we ended up is these are actually our values today, not what we want our values to be. <clears throat> and I think it was a, for me, it was what I call a bit of an aha moment. Yeah, can you say a bit more about, about that? Like, what we really are as opposed to what we think we are or what we should be? Well, we, and we had, so we, we ended up having about half a dozen workshops, and these workshops are about half a day each, so this is you know, quite, quite a commitment. And we had quite some discussions on, you know, this is what we aspire to be. And, so mm -hmm. and what we realised is what we aspire to be wasn't about our values, it was about the size of the organisation and you know what we stand for and, uh, and so on. But actually, whenever we talked about that, we always talked about the same set of values. And the values of the, of the organisation have actually are the values that have brought the company through 200 years, you know, through you know, world wars and floods and fires and so on. And what we recognised is what we don't want to do is create new values we want to understand who we are and enhance them even further. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, so we, we, came, up, we came up with three values. We, you know, we're forward thinking, we're responsible, and we're caring. Mm. Um, and it's not about the words, it's actually about the meanings behind the words. But that was, that's actually who we were, it's who we are, and who we aspire to be. Um, and it's also come from the organisation themselves, as opposed to a team of directors sat around the bowl table. Mm. Now that, that whole process uh, took us about six months to, uh, to get to that point. Mm. Uh, whereas around the board table would have been super efficient because we could have done it in an hour, yeah. um, but had no understanding, we would have come out with something completely different um, and it wouldn't have stood the test of time. And, and I think as a, as a team of directors, we've really learned by going through that process. Um, and also, you know, throughout the organisation, we've got a whole series of champions of this is who we are because you know, they were part of the, uh, the workshop. Part of the process, yeah. And can you talk a little bit more um, about that process, so you were facilitating workshops with groups of employees from different levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and how, yeah, well, how did that how did that work? Um, well, of course, it was a new world for us, wasn't it? All all, uh, all online, um, <clears throat> and then we were we were really quite careful. We wanted a, a, a good balance between uh, between the sexes. We wanted a good balance of, of age. We wanted a good balance between between the businesses. We wanted a good balance between all the geographies. Um, and you know, and it was quite a challenge for some of them because we had people joining from Hong Kong at the same time. We had people joining from New York. You know, so some some were very late in the evening. Some were extremely early in the morning. Um, and we had and we had it facilitated, uh, you know, through uh, through third parties that came in to sort of help us through through that process. Um, but equally, what was important is that you know the team of directors uh, and our chairman. Who's also very passionate about you know, mm-hmm. our values and principles and uh, and purpose, also walked through all those workshops as well. And for us, it was quite difficult because you know we, we've got to learn, or we did learn a lot to, to do more listening mm-hmm. than speaking. Uh, we all had that you know the sort of a pre-discussion beforehand in terms of making sure that you know we were uh, we were really clear about actually what we wanted to do through the process is listen to our employees mm-hmm. and really understand where they were coming from as well as opposed to and I also think that was probably quite uh, interesting for our employees and you know to have a team of directors on but not to be saying a great deal right, yeah. <laughs> and to be doing more listening yeah because mm. it is you know it sounds like a company that sort of your company has moved from maybe slightly more traditional to a bit more progressive more autonomy in the organisation how is that for the directors, um, you know, is that is that is that hard? Is that tough to kind of allow yourself to sit back more? Um, is that is that an ongoing process? Like, how is that for for them? I think we're all going. I say we're going through that that journey. Um, I think the reality is it's highs and lows. Um, certainly, um, at the start of the pandemic, uh, when we had to very very quickly uh, get ourselves in order and put all the protective measures in uh, in place and so on. Uh, that's something actually we did do as directors. You know, we had to respond quickly and so on. Where where we've had more time um, to develop thoughts and thinking, um, whether it's on sort of some of the business strategies or uh, some of the initiatives that we've uh, that we've got through uh, through you know any part of the business. Um, then that's where we've really tested it out, and we're going down that down that road. And I think in reality, we um, we all find things easier and harder depending on our sort of um, you know personal approach to, to things as we as we're doing it. Um, what we have done is we've developed the people who are working within the entire organisation, and we do a lot more development than, mm. than we've ever done. Uh, and we've hired some, you know, extremely good, capable individuals. Uh, and that's not to say that the team weren't before, because mm. because they are. But we've we've added to that as uh, as well. And I think with probably without exception, um, each one of the directors has an enormous pride when someone within their organisation comes up with a great success. Mm. Um, and I think that that really helps to crystallise. Some of the approach that we're taking, and and I think equally without exception, when that's happened, it's always been way better than ever than it would have been whenever you know it would have been done in the past, mm. um, because you know we've allowed subject matter experts to work on things, you know, mm. and, and it hasn't been someone who's been juggling, 
you know, three dozen other things at the same time and it's had to make some fairly quick decisions of you know, mm. what, what needed to be done, but actually it's been delegated to an area in the organisation where you know, time has been allowed to really think about it, uh, it, there's been dialogue around it as well, but like I say, it, it is part of a journey. Mm. Yeah, and it's interesting, particularly what you did with that new department as well, like um, that you allowed a lot more autonomy and what came out was an amazing result. It's one of like your major kind of product lines. It's kind of at the cutting edge of sustainability too. And it is, it, directive and non-directive leadership styles are all relevant at different times. And it's interesting what you said about COVID and sometimes a very directive health and safety need is there. And then at other times where we, we can be much more open, like you said, like go away and find me, you know, mm. like where this can go. But quite often I find with leaders, we, we're, we tend towards the directive, the advice giving, the, the very directional, because it's kind of comfy. And the, and the non-directive, the more open, is, can feel like a little more uncomfortable or messy or, or harder, but can develop with practice. How is that for you as an individual in your leadership? Like how, how comfortable do you feel like that? Where are you at with, mm. with the way you guide people in that way. So I, I think about it a little bit differently to that, to be honest. I, I always think, feel that it's about where you're looking in your, in, in your time period. <clears throat> um, because you know, the definition of being quite directive usually is about here, the here and now. And, uh, and one of the areas that we've worked on hard, uh, and I've worked on particularly hard, is about how far out we're looking. And I would say, if I sort of go back, in, back into my, my career, um, certainly when I first started, I'd been looking at the day, um, right, what's the day got in store, what challenges have I got, and, and, uh, and so on. Uh, but certainly, you know, as a CEO of an organisation, if you're not spending a good portion of your time really thinking about what do you look like in five years' time, um, what are some of the challenges that we need to face, uh, maybe today, but to make ourselves fit for three, five, six, seven years time. And, and I don't think we, we had done enough of that in the past. And, um, and maybe, maybe it was strategic to look at the here and now, um, but once you've got a stable enough platform and you can afford some mistakes to, and learnings to, to, uh, to be made, um, then the time horizon that, that I advocate that we work on moves out and so my expectation is that uh, as, a, as a leader and a leadership team we also have a pretty clear view of what we look like in five years time because if you don't how do you know what you're doing today is the right thing and to, to take a view of being able to make some decision making and it's therefore it becomes stepping stones of, of, of where of where you're heading. Mm. Um, I always think that it's impossible that you're ever going to achieve your aspirations as an organisation unless you've got a view of what those stepping stones are. And maybe it's a long-winded way of answering answering your question, but um, by really as a as a leader, by really forcing the topic of looking further and further out, or to choose another word, strategic, um, then you're going to be drawing yourself and others with you to move out of the very directional, tactical type discussions to look at the more important topics move, moving forward, which then allows you to, to delegate uh, mm. some of those tasks. And the reality is some find it easier than others. Um, but certainly my expectation of myself and, and my team around me is to have a much more forward view looking forward uh, and it allows us to sort of really push that because the reality is we don't all have the bandwidth to look at all the issues of today and all the issues moving forward and when we start to run out the bandwidth then it's the areas that are really about today that need to be done elsewhere. Mm. And, the, and I guess with really looking far forward you need everybody's brain power right because it you know we need the creativity I suppose and and being directional kind of shuts that down 
but being open and asking those big questions maybe opens that up. Is, mm. that, is that your experience? Yeah, I think so. Mm. And, I mean, your business is really interesting and we sort of touched on this when we spoke before that you're, you're in a rural location and you're also a... Um, so you're in the Lake District pr- pr- predominantly um, and also that you have um, families in your businesses as well. So there'll be a lot of of people in the business where it's many people in the families that are working there. Um, how would you say you navigate some of that? Is that, can you talk to that at all? Both kind of more countryside based and yeah. Well, we've got, um, we've got five locations, but the main location is in, is in the Lake District. Um, and that's where the heritage of the, of the company is as, uh, as well. Um, but interestingly, um, pretty much all of our locations are quite rural um, and all clearly very, very important to us. What it does do is it brings a different level of responsibility. And I think part of the responsibility is about uh, recruitment. Uh, so based in the Lake District, the biggest industry is, is either hospitality or, or farming. Uh, and manufacturing is is a much more is much smaller, and therefore, you know, if you're looking to recruit engineers, you're less likely to find engineers on your doorstep, um, and it puts therefore it puts a lot of emphasis on developing your own people and your own organisation because you can't as easily just go out and recruit you know people who are sort of in in and around you. But it also puts an emphasis on your brand. Because when you do want to attract people to, to your organisation, um, you, you've got to be the better, the better prospect and the better option. And therefore it puts a, an emphasis of really building your brand of who you are, what you stand for, the type of leadership, type of uh, career opportunities that you've got that people want to come and, uh, and, and work for you. But also it, there's a responsibility around community as, uh, as well. Um, yeah, within the, the Lake District location, um, there are uh, grandmothers, mothers and daughters all working in the same factory, and grandfathers and fathers and sons all working in the same factory, and um, you know, the children that go to the local school, the parents may, may well work there, and, uh, and so on. Um, and therefore, to, not to just, just to do what's right for the community, but it's about loyalty with employees as, uh, as well. So we do a lot of work with local schools, uh, local colleges, um, also developing and helping support the infrastructure. So an example would be, uh, we just helped to support to put high-speed internet into the into the surrounding village. Mm. Um, um, yeah, we did. We've done some work, at the, you know, talking at local colleges about careers and uh, and so on. Um, interestingly, during during COVID, we delivered. Um, in a COVID secure way, paper to the schools whilst the schools were running. Um, uh, and also we, we put, during the um, pandemic, when all the schools were closed, um, we put paper in all the local supermarkets for free uh, so the children could you know, pick up could parents, parents could pick them up and, uh, and use them and so on. So it, bring, it brings a lot of added responsibility that you wouldn't normally have in other, in, you know, other types of businesses and other locations. Mm. Yeah, it's really interesting because um, what you say about community that 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 your business is very much a family round the table conversation um in the way that I imagine um you'd be talked about a lot in the community more than a lot of a lot of brands where people are kind of commuting in or mm. there's a lot of kind of transition there yeah and that's why it bring it brings that level of responsibility as mm. well and the way you conduct yourself your noise sound uh pollution you know trucks coming down to, to make deliveries and, and so on. Yeah, you know, has to be in partnership with the community. And it isn't all sweetness and light sometimes. Right. Yeah, you know, we have our challenges as, uh, as well, which we're, we're quite mindful of. Mm. So your kind of local reputation, basically, is really important. And uh, fantastically important, yeah. yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's great that you're sort of serving the community with things like Wi-Fi, because it is interesting how 
far we think we've come and then we find that in certain rural communities wi-fi is terrible or, or you know and it's a it's almost like a basic need now mm. um to better access well, services another example is um on top of every one of our uh, warehouse roofs that can hold it uh, we have solar power and now and we use solar power because we want to you know get to a carbon neutral position as, as soon as we can and we've got quite a long way to to go on that um, but actually it's a community program so we we are holding the solar panels we are buying the energy um, but it's run as a, as a community program and the community have invested in the solar panels than themselves and then get a return on the energy that we purchase from it as, uh, as well. So, oh, so a lot of different schemes like that. It's a win-win. Yeah, no, that's great. And, it, and it's great you're part of that ecosystem, really. And, and like thinking about, I guess, responsibility and um, community and things like this. So with, with this interview takes place in coming out of lockdown period of COVID. We hope. Um, we hope, yeah, we hope that the final, the final one, 2021, May. Um, and no doubt you've had, yeah, you've got some operations that are all continuing um, on the manufacturing side, but office-based staff are going to potentially be thinking about coming back. How have you, or are you handling that kind of transition? Because I imagine that must be a live problem for a lot of leaders, like... Mm. How do we bring people back? Are, are there obligations and rules? Can we be flexible? What's your kind of attitude to that? Yeah, and that's a, that's a great question. So we're, um, we're an SME. Um, so we're 100 million turnover. We're 600 employees. So we're not a large organization. We're a small corporate now, I think. And, uh, <laughs> and um, uh, we used to run the business as, as a group um, and agree the policies and procedures that should, should happen within the group. Uh, and a little bit like the dialogue that we've had about um, expanding our thinking as leaders uh, to be able to think more, more longer term. Uh, more recently, we've provided a lot more autonomy and differentiation between the businesses. So we have three different businesses. And we're in the process of separating the businesses out. And, so they can make their own decisions, um, their own policies that are right to help to, to grow that business in the, in the long term. I think what we realised is that some of the decisions that we were making as a group were probably right as a group, but was watering down uh, and potentially holding back some of the opportunity for, for the businesses. And as an example of, uh, of that, rather than... Uh, say actually you know the, the bell rings everyone can come back on site um, you know that's a really good example about how na- how we work now is that's a decision for departmental managers and they can assess on a, on a needs basis so there might be an employee who actually is really struggling at home uh, for, you know whether it's um, from a um, mental health perspective and, and really for their own benefit could do to come back in. Um, there may be some other employees who actually have some childcare issues that really it might be more of a gradual process and even when it does happen it might happen longer term on a more flexible basis and I think what we realise is it doesn't need to be a flick of the switch for everyone to come back and also the decision making yeah, you know, has to be much closer and more personal mm. on a on a on a one to one of what's uh, what's needed. Um, so it's a great example of what we were talking about before. That that responsibility is now delegated, mm. um, and we realise that we've got very bright departmental managers. Uh, they're very close to the topic. They're very close to their, you know their own teams, mm. and they're more than capable of making those decisions of you know what will work for them and what will work for the businesses. Mm. And how do they feel about that kind of responsibility are they kind of welcoming that opportunity to to guide or is there some nervousness like oh I need a rule book you know to yeah and I think I think you'll you'll find that the uh, will vary depending on who they are I think having said that probably an overwhelming sense of um, uh, gratitude of wanting to actually that's kind of why we're here it's also kind of what we're used to Um, and you know it's good to be held accountable and responsible because at the end of the day if there's questions to be answered from anyone that's coming back into work it's actually the departmental managers 
who mm. will uh, who will need to answer it. I mean, I, I always have always thought one of the hardest jobs in any organisation is first line leaders, and you know those are the guys. Uh, I mean, guys, I think male and female, who you know they're the ones that have to answer the questions, and you know we we work a twenty four hour hour operation, and you know the questions get asked at three o'clock in the morning as much as they get asked at nine o'clock in the morning, and. You know, and if if they don't feel empowered, all it's going to leave is frustration with the leader, and frustration with you know the employees because they can't get the answer till you know big boss comes in at nine o'clock in the morning and answers the question. It, it just it just can't work that way. Mm. It won't work that way. So it sounds like there's been a real um, process of devolving power both to the the three businesses but also to the lower levels of management so that some more stuff gets done and people feel more correct and what i don't want to give is as an example of of a vision of some sort of utopia it's not utopia (laughs) that that everyone has got all the decision making and the reality is we're part way through a process Mm. uh, and we're on a journey and you know some parts of the organisation are there much quicker than other parts of the organisation and some people feel a little uncomfortable with it, some are, some are lapping it up. Mm. You know, we know the direction we're going and um, and it will take years to, because we're actually talking about cultural change. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you know, we're talking about behaviours and how people operate and what people feel comfortable with and, and so on. Mm. And yeah, I mean that. I mean that's really that's great of you to be honest about that that shift because I imagine a lot of businesses, particularly those that come from a quite a traditional heritage, are in that process. So it'd be interesting. Um, yeah, what what how people reflect on that from similar businesses to yours. Um, I'm also wondering, it's this process that you're going through. Do you think that values process you did when you really sat down and listened to? lots of employees in different groups do you think that has facilitated this because it sounded like that was really some of the real seeds of empowerment happening them and their voice being heard um do you think that ha- that has helped this kind of process it's, it's only act as a, acted as a, as a catalyst um not only because that's the direction that we were going anyway but you know we've got to bear in mind who's learning here and it's the whole organisation that's learning, mm. including the leaders of the organisation, and including me. Mm. Um, that you know, as we, you know, take the values workshops that we did as an example. You know, I didn't know they were our values. Mm. I didn't know that's how we how we were thinking as an organisation. Now I totally buy into it, and I think they're absolutely spot on. It's just way better than I could have ever come up with. Probably we could have been better to come up with as a, as a leadership team. Mm. Um, what do you think uh, you learnt the most from that? Like you said, everyone's learning. Like what, what do you feel like you took from, to, from that process yourself? I think, um, well, I, I, specifically on the values, I probably understand the organisation better now. Mm-hmm. Um, the having you know listen to listen to the stories because it's all about storytelling of you know why is a value a value and mm. you know there are really good case studies behind all of value of the three values that, that, that we've got deliberately three by the way okay yeah. so we could all remember them right <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, keep it simple <laughs> and uh, but it works it, it, it really works um, but I think listening to the stories behind uh, behind each one of them, and then, then you know, we all sort of debated what the words were, the values, which actually isn't the important bit, it's the stories that are behind. Um, that we truly understood actually who we're about, you know, what, what we stand for. Um, and I think, I'm, I'm not sure we would have, we all knew that before. I certainly didn't know it. Um, you know, maybe some members of the family probably could have articulated it better than uh, perhaps the current team could. Um, but you know, really proper learning of you know what does two hundred years of a company really look like, really and, and why are we here today? I was interested that care came out as one of your top values. Where do you think that shows up the most? Well, I think your your question around the um, uh, you talked about what responsibility does a an organisation who sits in the heart of the Lake District that's quite rural, that's two hundred years old, and members of the family. And, and I think that's really where care comes from. Mm. Um, and I don't want to sort of, you know, 
position that to say care is it, it's all about loving one another it's you know it, it actually can be tough love as well um, you know care is is about bringing the responsibility for people mm. um, and that's you know that you know it, you know the development people it could be it could be in the community it could be customers it could be suppliers and I don't mean that in a wishy-washy way I mean you know personal responsibility of working alongside others and what that means mm. but it also about means doing things right in, in the right ethical way with the right integrity and that also means that if you see something that isn't being done right it also means tackling it as uh, as well um, so it's care in its very holistic sense mm. um, you know meaning actually this is the direction we're going and that might be also might be uh, might be a lumpy road to uh, to drive mm. down and tough love that sounds like an important important kind of kind of principle where where's that the most applicable that sounds like like you said care is not just about everyone being nicey nicey it's about responsibility you know your duty or what where does that is there any examples where that shows up where you want to kind of um i think in a few different areas i mean part of it can be about um how you operate as you know your ethics of a of an organisation, um, but it's also about respecting one another. So you know, I give it an example of you know, say engineering. Um, so we're a manufacturing organisation. We rely on scientists and engineers and uh, you know to help to, to develop our, our, our products. Um, and one of the areas that I is quite close to me is. You know, young engineers and, and female engineers. Um, I, in, in, in my world, we don't have enough of either. Um, and that doesn't mean that the older male engineer is not valued because they, they absolutely are. But mm. you know, the, the lifeblood, we need to be bringing more younger engineers in. Um, for every 10 engineers, we, we may well see one, one female. And you know, I think to have a very diversified group is, uh, is really important. Um, that may not be a very a, a traditional way of thinking, and and sometimes in a in a male dominated environment, you know, we need to learn to be uh, a little bit more diversified thinking, mm. um, and that's an area that we have you know zero tolerance to, um, and you know if we see aspects of you know, um, you know bullying, discrimination, and and so on. Um, yeah, we will, we will take the right court of action because we're trying to create the, the right environment. And I think these things are true to say, in, however good any organisation says they are, mm. there will always be an element of pocket of you know, trying to redress the balance of making every employee feel comfortable and happy to, to come to work. Mm. Um, and it's an area that we feel very passionately about. Mm. And that sounds really important. Um, Hundred percent don't want to generalise, but I guess in an industry where there will be more rural traditional types, this is going to sound really generalistic. So, um, some of that work there around diversity may not be what they've heard growing up, for example. So I I wonder how important that is at work. Those conversations to kind of help people behave appropriately at work. Mm. You know, there's 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 all of us are on a journey in this space so that seems important yeah i'm not i'm not sure it would be particularly unique to a particular geography or, mm. or type of a type of business um i i normal times i spend quite a lot of time in you know in london yeah um and in the city with investors um yeah i see the same challenges yeah um so it, it, you know it's they, everywhere. they, <laughs> they <laughs> manifest themselves in, in different yeah, ways i yeah. think i think we've got quite a journey to to go there mm. Yeah, that's interesting. Happens at all levels. Mm. So tell me about you then, just to kind of close the interview, really. How do you look after yourself? You've got this this big role, you've come in, you've really moved this organisation or, or moving with the people to a place of more autonomy and more kind of, um, yeah, more growth through that. Like, how do you look after yourself? What supports you? Well, I, I will answer that, but I will probably start off by saying I enjoy what I do. Okay, great. <laughs> um, that hasn't always been the case. Mm. Um, I've spent you know, time in sort of different careers and in different roles where I actually haven't enjoyed it. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love it. I really enjoy it. doesn't mean you don't have bad days because, oh boy, we have bad days sometimes. Uh, but on the whole, I have more good days than, than bad. And, you know, if I was given the option to um, re retire and be money free or carry on doing what I'm doing, I'd carry on doing what I'm doing. Um, it, you know, the type, the type of uh, uh, changes. So, yeah, that's, that, that is a, that's a real big win for me personally. Um, but uh, aside from that, um, you know, I'm spending a lot of time in the Lake District. Um, I'm a very keen walker. Um, so enjoy the hills and, uh, and enjoy the, the lakes. Uh, one, of, one of the great advantages of, uh, of COVID is the Lake District's been so quiet. <laughs> All the tourists are out. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so that's been good, you know, out on the bike, on, yeah. uh, on, on roads and stuff. So, um, you know, physical health for me is, is really important. Mm. Um, it's the one stage I switch off from work mm. uh, because I'm focusing on, you know, which wall I'm going to climb over or just checking there's no bull in the field before, before I walk across and, uh, and so on. Um, yeah, so that that's quite important as well. Mm. And has that always kept you and share as little as much as you like, but quite stable? Have you been through your own kind of mental health ups and downs along the way? Um, yeah, I think we've all had some challenges, and you know, I had a uh, a challenge uh, two years ago with my daughter, um, and um, you know, she was diagnosed with uh, with cancer. At the, uh, at the time, and I hate Todd now, by the way, she's fit and well. Uh, fit, well, and beautiful, should I say. <laughs> um, and I think events like that just make you realise what's important, uh, and it puts things in perspective. You, know, you have a, a customer has a bad day, or you know, you know, the car breaks down on the way to work, you know, it's a pain, but that's actually all it is. Mm. You know, family, you can't bring back family if things, if things go wrong. So for me, that was also a bit of a turning point um, that lasted quite a few years. Um, and I, I do look at things slightly different, which is perhaps one of the reasons why I say I enjoy my job. Because mm. actually, if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't do it. Because I don't feel I have to do it. And that's not a money conversation. Um, it's about you know, values in, uh, in your life. Mm. And was there anything else that helped you through that period besides nature and the Lake District or anything else that kind of served you when, you know, with that kind of tough personal challenge? Um, other than friends and family, um, uh, quite a lot of um, uh, charity work at the time, hmm. which actually was supporting the, the cancer charity, which I'm still a, um, a, a, on the board for as, oh, wow. uh, as well, the Teenage Cancer. So kind cancer. of giving into giving yeah, to that. Yeah, that the Teenage Cancer Trust, uh, I mean, yeah, great charity. Um, you know, anyone who's interested in uh, elevating their sort of ESG credentials then the Teenage Cancer Trust, a great one to go for, yeah. bit of a plug. Good plug uh, for them, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Phil, for all your practical insights. I really got a sense of the journey they were on towards more autonomy, allowing leaders to look further into the future and delegate more, and allowing the business to devolve into its three parts and take more personal responsibility for individual employees. That's powerful. I'm Ruth Ferenga, and you've been listening to the Conscious Leaders podcast. You can find out more about our leadership development consultancy and how we help leaders build a calm, collaborative and productive workplace at consciousleaders.org.uk.